Welcome to the Enlighten Me podcast. I'm your host, Mackenzie, and you are listening to episode 42 of the show. So welcome and happy August, everyone. Today we are talking about a topic that I love. I'm super passionate about this topic. It's all about ditching fast fashion and embracing ethical and sustainable clothing. This is a topic I've actually talked about before on the show. You may have listened to some of those episodes, but it's one where we need to keep the conversation going. And today's episode is a little bit different. It's extra fun because we are focusing on the fellas. So Garrick, who is the guest for today's show, is the founder of Eco Stylist. He does personal styling and provides resources for men to find ethical and sustainable fashion. Garrick will confess that he was not always the most fashionable person, but he had a passion for caring for others and the environment and just about being a more conscious consumer, and so he started his business and and became a pretty fashionable guy himself. So today he is educating us on what fast fashion is, the way it harms garment workers, the way it harms our environment, and some steps we can take to be more mindful. Again, this is a topic you may have heard me talk about before, but it's one we can never stop learning about. There's a lot of things that need our attention, so I want to encourage you to not get overwhelmed by them. Pick one thing that you can do and work on it. Just doing one thing will have an impact, okay? There is no such thing as too small of an impact. Next week in part two of the episode, we're going to continue this conversation and talk more about what we can do, but for now, Garrick has lots of great recommendations for us. I also want to ask you to leave a rating and a review for the show. In case you don't already know, I am currently donating money to two super awesome organizations for reviews that I receive. Those are Young Life and Water Mission. So I want to keep donating to them and I want to help other people to find the show. The biggest way to do that is word of mouth. So anytime you can tell your friends about the show or post about it on social media, I really, really appreciate that. But also writing a review does the same thing. So If you would take the time to do that, it would mean so much to me. I want to give a shout out to someone who has written a review. This review is from Danny. She said, I've listened to all the episodes and learned something new from each one. Love that each episode covers a different topic, but also relevant in today's world. Not only do I learn a lot, but they are entertaining and funny as well, and include so many great tips to live a healthier lifestyle. Highly recommend. Thank you so much, Danny, for that review. It means so much to me, and it's helping other people to find the show and continue the conversation around these important topics, so thanks. All right, without further ado, here is my conversation with Garrick. All right. Hey, Garrick, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Mackenzie. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, I'm super excited to chat with you today. Why don't you just start with introducing yourself for everyone who's listening? Sure. So I'm Garrick, and I'm the founder of EcoStylist, which is an online marketplace for ethically and sustainably made men's clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, and in addition to that, and as part of that, I also do personal styling, sustainable personal styling for men. And maybe just like a tiny bit of information about me is, is uh, I would self-describe myself as a tinkerer or a problem solver. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've always been attracted to just solving problems, like whether it's something like working on a car, you know, or like rock climbing, or, you know, whether it's something like Eco Stylist, where, you know, it's like a it's like, here's a problem and how do you, you know, create an opportunity to solve that? Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah. Cool. That's awesome. And I read online that you wouldn't have described yourself as fashionable before starting this business. So we're going to talk more about what you do with Eco Stylist in just a minute, but I want to know what did you do before this? Yeah. So before, let me just give you a little background. Um, In college, I studied, uh, so for undergrad, I studied peace studies, basically. It was called uh, Conflict Analysis and Resolution. Mm. And 
Yeah, this was back then, and I wasn't uh, fashion conscious at all. You probably, I was probably like among the worst or the least fashionable people <laughs> at my university. Um, what school did you go to, by the way? Uh, George Mason University. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's which is it's in Northern Virginia, uh, pretty close to DC. Okay. And so that was then, and then uh, kind of like I got out into the world, and I wanted to, I wanted to work in this field, but it was just. Um, I had trouble at least finding an opportunity uh, with just an undergrad degree in this, in this, like with master's degrees and stuff, I think it's a bit easier, um, especially in DC where there's a lot of people with master's degrees. Yeah. But I was having some trouble. So, so I got into like multifamily real estate, uh, basically. Yeah. I, so I was working in essentially the finance industry and yeah, and I, I was pretty like, I did that for about four years. Probably, it was probably too long for me because um, it wasn't really the type of work I wanted to be doing. And so what happened is I just burned out like completely. Um, and so I had this like quarter life crisis at, at 25 and, you know, just like where I was like panicking and I was like, what am I doing with my life? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that was when I just started to make changes and I wasn't exactly sure how to use my peace studies degree, you know, at that point. But I, I started, so I moved to Pittsburgh and I, uh, back on the problem solving note, I, I worked for a software company for 11 months mm -hmm. and I was just like a problem solver for them basically uh, is how I would describe it. Like I would help them implement the software for their clients and yeah, so that was really fun for me, and it, but it wasn't, at the end, it still, it wasn't very fulfilling, so I started moving faster, so I was like, okay, I did this for a little while, it's not what I want, um, so I, yeah, so I got into the MBA program at University of Iowa, and that's that's how I ended up, so I live in Iowa City now, um, and that's, okay. how, that's how I got here. Yeah, and that was sort of, that was sort of a big step for me, because I wanted to, I wanted to sort of be able to make more meaningful impact in organizations, but at the same time, I wanted to start a business, and I, it wasn't, I didn't want the MBA for that reason, it was, um, it was the opportunities that came with it. Like Iowa City has a strong entrepreneurial community. And so I thought I can do this degree and like build a startup on the side. And and so that was sort of mm -hmm. like my mission. Yeah. So that's how I got here. Um, and I, I guess I should take one step back though. So and before and then EcoStylist developed while I was working on my MBA program. But to take one step back, it was around the time I was in Pittsburgh that um, after I had this quarter life crisis. Yeah. One of my, my one of my best friends told me that basically yeah, she just told me that the way I dressed was like, could be a lot better and that there was like a lot of room for improvement. <laughs> and that was what sort of started the thing for, that was what started fashion as an interest for me. Like before mm -hmm. that, because I wasn't even aware of it. Like before that moment, I always tried to hide in my clothes, right? Like I, I would pick mm -hmm. things that were just like all blue and I just wanted to blend in, you know, like polos and jeans yeah. and like, yeah, the last thing I wanted to do was stand out, but I didn't realize that until kind of this all happened. And then I thought like, okay, I could actually pay attention here. And so I, I, by, and so I started like doing things on my own, like keeping a Pinterest board where I would just get ideas and, and think about it and be like, do I, and so it sort of, yeah, I would just pin things that I liked. And then that would inform me of like what styles I was interested in. And through all of this, I learned that I could express myself through how I dress. And I think that was really mm -hmm. empowering and, and I don't like try to hide anymore with my style. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really yeah. cool. Okay, so you wanted to start a business and maybe something with fashion. And so where did you get the idea for EcoStylist? Yeah, so th this kind of came together in a in a weird way, which I guess it often does when you're working on things yeah yeah but so because basically so i was here at iowa i was doing the mba program and i, I had just started actually i was like a couple months in they uh -huh. had this event in iowa city called uh which is not affiliated with the university at all it's just a community event called startup weekend mm -hmm. and the the premise for anybody who doesn't know is like you try to build a startup in 72 hours essentially oh wow yeah and and so you just hit the ground running like you you go through like you brainstorm you form a small team and it's a very affordable event like usually they cost like you know 20 bucks and it's just to pay for like necessity so it's a very accessible thing for people to do huh. so i did that and i ended up winning the event and in the theme was fashion 
cool. It was yeah, I was lucky. The theme okay. was fashion, so it sort of fit for me. And um, yeah. So what what I won with wasn't ego stylist. It was a uh, it was like a texting. It was a texting service where because what I found I did a lot of customer discovery. Like I went to shopping malls and I talked to people during this weekend, and I learned that like people have trouble finding things like specific things. Like you know like like they've been looking for like a yellow cardigan for months, right? Uh huh. Yeah. So I was I developed what essentially was a texting service where like you like text in like you want a yellow cardigan, and then like local businesses can text you back. And be like, we have one of those, and like show you pictures and prices. Oh. oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, so that's that's where I started with this, and I was basically, I was iterating on that. Like, I was like, how do I build that on my own or uh-huh. with a small team, and how do I move forward? Because I'm the only, I ended up being the only founder that remained. Like the other people that I worked with at Stripe Weekend, um, which often happens, they just they have lives and they don't want to pursue a startup, right? Right. So what ended up happening is I was working on all of this, and then I was in Boston, and I, at this point I actually had an MVP and everything, so I had this website. This is going to sound weird how it iterated, but I had a website where you would go to the website and you would do like, you would chat with a chat bot. So it was like an automated, it was an automated chat flow that was all programmed and it would basically be like a style quiz and it would, it would help guys dress better. Right. It was like, that was the other thing I learned from customer mm-hmm. discovery is like is specific, it was the specific problems that guys face with shopping. And, and obviously there's a lot of generalization with anything like business and, and customer discovery, but that's sort of what you have to do. So what I found generally was like a lot of guys mm-hmm. would, would tell you that, you know, they don't, um, they sort of get frustrated if they spend too much time shopping and they don't really have a lot of confidence that they're good at it and, and these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So I was like, how do I make that easy, better, like easier for them? So I, I, I built this automated, basically personal stylist through a chatbot and you would chat with it and it would like give you recommendations of things to buy. And so that was actually like a thing that worked. And then I was at, I was at this market and I, and there was like these awesome shoes there. And I go talk to the guy and he's the founder of an ethical shoe company. So he was the founder of Adelante Shoe Company. And I, before this, I didn't really know. I barely knew. I, I think I barely knew about issues in the fashion okay. industry. And I didn't know that there were brands out there that were doing things ethically. And this was, you know, this was like two or three years ago now, yeah. um, probably three. Yeah. And so he was so he told me that how they pay living wages right. in Guatemala to all of their workers mm-hmm. And this was the first time I'd ever heard of this. And and it actually, and, and what they do is actually unique in that they, because they're one of the only brands that measures their own living wage and they pay above that. And it's, um so they're doing like a really progressive thing for their workers in Guatemala. And so I was like, I was really inspired and I bought a pair of shoes. And that mu- that summer, like within a couple months, I, I realized like I have to pivot my business to do this because what I realized is basically, because for one, it matters a lot, right? The human impact and the environmental impact. But then two, like, it's really hard to find these good brands. Like that's what, that was the situation I was in. I was like, you know, it's like yeah. three years ago and I was like, I can't find, I can't put together an outfit with good brands like this because I don't know who to trust. I don't know what the brands are like, right? I don't know which, which brands are good and have good style. And so I wanted to solve yeah. that problem. Like for, 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 like, so other people could, you know, buy things that look amazing that are also made ethically and not have to have like a hundred browser tabs open, you know, to find that solution. Okay. That's really cool. And so, so what would you say, because how long ago was this that you really started Ego Stylist? Yeah, so that was, it would have been, so I guess that would have been, it would have been two and a half years ago that that idea stage happened, like that, that where I met, where I met um, yeah. the founder of Adelante. And I was like, I need to pivot uh-huh. this because that was during the summer. But then I didn't actually start it. So I've been working on it for 18 months. So I started it the following summer when I graduated, um, I went in full time. Before that, it was sort of a side project where I was like, I would build a website as I had time. I would do user testing as I had time. But when I graduated, I, I went in mm-hmm. full time and I was like, this is what I want to do. So eight, yeah, 18 months full time. Okay, that's awesome. So now now that the business has kind of evolved into 
you know, really what you want it to be. Uh, what would you say your mission is? Like, do you have like a mission statement that kind of sums it all up? Yeah, yeah. Our mission is to make clothing shopping, um, make all clothing shopping ethical and sustainable. And obviously, that sounds like a huge goal, and, and it mm-hmm. is. Um, right. But we're yeah, and we're trying to serve our part of that. And right now, yeah. focusing on menswear is how we we see ourselves best fitting into that equation because. Uh-huh. Just because there was like when I started this, especially there was a lot of solutions for women, but yeah, you know, for men, you, you plus you see less men, you see less men involved in the sustainable fashion space, like in the communities, right. and then also like, and I wanted to change that. I was like, I want you know more guys here in this space, and I want like, and I want them to have solutions so that because obviously there's a problem affects everyone, and everybody can vote with their wallets, and so yeah, so that was why we kind of like zeroed in on men and wanted to be hyper focused there. Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool because I I totally agree with you. I think even some of these podcast episodes that I do, it almost sounds like it's for women, but I'm like, it's really not. It's just that there's a lot more females that are like available to talk about these kind of things, it seems like, but it's, it really is for everybody. So I think that's awesome that you're focusing specifically on men's fashion right now. Now, do you have hopes to expand to do women's fashion too, or do you think you'll stay just with men's fashion? Yeah, I'm not. That's a good question. I, I have thought about it, and people ask me that all the time. You know, which is interesting because, like, I, like I thought, you know, especially when I started this, I thought, you know, that, that I thought that there was enough good solutions for women, but I think mm-hmm. actually, in, in actuality, there's still more opportunity, to, like, to give, you know, to give women like who are looking for ethical and sustainable clothes like a better shopping experience, right, and make things easier for them. I think there's still more opportunities in that space. I mean, mm-hmm. it's obvious because people still ask me, but yeah, I'm not sure at this time because I uh, part of what we so we maybe like halfway through the life of the business, we, we partnered with Remake to do our sustainable brand research. We had our own process that we developed for how we determine if a brand is sustainable before that. Um, and then I met I met the founder of Remake, who Aisha, who's like incredibly um, charismatic and just has like a strong vision. Mm-hmm. And uh, I met her at a conference and we talked about this and, and it just made, it made a lot of sense for me to adopt their criteria because first of all, it's, it's like, it's transparent, it's black and white. Like anybody could... I mean, it's a little bit like it's a little bit of work, obviously, because doing research for a brand, but like you could look at the criteria, you could look at the brand and you could you could basically copy our work like it's that transparent, like you could yeah. do the work yourself. And and that was really appealing because I think something I noticed in the space is like there's a big problem with defining sustainability. There's yeah. not like a clear or one definition and, and there's not a lot of transparency and even brands like even brands talk to me all the time about like how they don't know what they should be doing. So this partnership with remake it was it can solve a lot of these problems right i wanted to bring sure. transparency to like what all this means and so but in, in consequentially though they're focused on women's clothing so um so kind of what we do now is we just direct people to them when they're looking for women's clothes um through our website and and, and you, we, we get quite a few people that are you know that are coming to our website looking for women's clothing so yeah that's kind of um how we handle that now yeah that's really cool because i think i think you're right that it can be really hard to know. And even when you do think maybe you're buying from a really good brand, it's, you know, you, you might find out later, like, wait, is that a good brand? Because <laughs> I, I just went through that with, this is like kind of random, but with my water bottle, and I don't want to say what brand just because I don't, I haven't actually looked into it yet. So I don't want to throw them under the bus in case I'm wrong. But I thought it was like a small business all made in the US, like, you know, all these good things. And, and then I just noticed it says made in China on the bottom of my water bottle, even though I've had it for like four years. And I was like, wait, what? I thought this was made in the US. Like I'm now I'm questioning everything. Like I thought this was a totally like ethical, sustainable business. And maybe it is, maybe they pay, you know, their workers living wages in China. Maybe they run a really ethical factory there, but maybe not. (laughs) 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think we've all felt duped or like or tricked at some point by a brand. Yeah, I have too. And I, you know, there was a brand we worked with, and and I've actually seen I've seen both things happen. I've seen brands accelerate, so I've seen brands improve their sustainability over time, and I've mm-hmm. seen brands do the opposite. Like I've seen, I don't want to. I guess I don't want to name a brand here because this the story is pretty bad. But basically <laughs> about them. But the um, there was basically a jean company that made jeans in L.A. and it was they were a big focus of them was like made in L.A. made in the U.S. Right? Yeah. Ethical and they were pretty new and they they basically and they raised a bunch of money and all of a sudden like no mention like it wasn't like they told you where the stuff was made but all of a sudden like no mention of made in la no made like right mm. and and it wasn't like they were if they were doing things ethically they would say right like they sure. would be like now it's made in china but we use these ethical factories none of like they basically just went into like non-transparent mode and so yeah. obviously yeah so i've seen that happen and and it's definitely disheartening but i think there's plenty of good brands that uh we can just turn to instead yes <laughs> so. absolutely awesome and so we're gonna talk about kind of how how to recognize those and what you guys do with eco stylists but before we get there i want to talk about the problem that we're referencing uh with fast fashion and um this is something you know i've had a few guests talk about this on the podcast before but in case there's people listening that haven't heard about this before, how would you describe this problem that we're talking about? Yeah, so I would, the way I would describe it is I think the fashion industry in general, right, is very resource and energy intensive, mm-hmm. right? Like the like in terms of um, like uses tons of water, like the amount of the amount of water that is required to grow enough cotton for jeans or, or a t-shirt is tremendous, right? And then mm-hmm. you look at, um, like then you look at fossil fuels. Like polyester has been growing. Like virgin polyester has been growing tremendously as a, as a fabric, and it's petroleum based. And then you look at pesticides, right? Like cotton uses more pesticides than any other crop in the world. Uh, conventional cotton does. Mm-hmm. And then you look at like the yeah, and then like rivers. Um, a lot of these factories have been dumping this this chemical water straight into the rivers in, in places like Indonesia and Bangladesh, and and you have millions of people. They're invisible, right? Until these documentaries come out that that show us this is a thing that's happening, but like to most of us, I think they're invisible. So we don't make the connection, but it's like, we're buying jeans from this brand, like the gap or something. Right. And then they're dumping these chemical water into the rivers. And then, yeah. And you have like millions of people that live along these rivers. And honestly, like there are all kinds of bad things are happening. Like they're getting cancer. Right. Because I mean, you can imagine like they bathe in these rivers, they do their laundry and it's just like loaded with chemicals. All the fish have died. So basically the fashion industry just has this incredible like environmental footprint in general. Yeah. And then, fast fashion specifically it's like it's like you it's like if there's a forest fire and you're trying to put it out and then somebody came and like poured gasoline all over it that's what fast fashion is like Mm. it's it's accelerating all of these problems at this rate that's like that's just mind-boggling like you know because you look at um like the number of clothes that each person purchases um every year has gone up like 60 percent in the last 50 in the last 15 years um and we're keeping them half as long and that's all that's the fast fashion effect right it's um it's you know it's like things are clothes keep getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and then so they're more disposable like we don't value them as much um and the quality is lower as well like some of these pieces frankly you know before i before i got into ethical fashion i bought from like h&m and forever 21 and i would buy shoes from them that would last like one month and then they were just literally falling apart um and so this yeah this trend of like disposable fashion has been really harmful to the environment Mm -hmm. and it's I think the, the the key problem with fast fashion actually is price. Price is a very, it's a very difficult thing to talk about because it has an emotional attachment to a lot of people, right? Like they're like, this is what I can afford, right? Like I only have so much money. And so price, it, it has this stronghold on people because they, 
they want to buy it because they're like, I can afford this. It's democratizing fashion for me, right? Like it's a very strong emotional reaction that you have to it. But the thing with fast fashion is you can't democratize fashion at the expense of everyone else. Like you can't, you know, you can't like democratize fashion for people that are lower income in the United States while like using slave labor to make those clothes, right? Like that's, um, that's not equitable, but that's literally what's happening. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's the thing we need to be aware of. Like we need to sort of disconnect the emotional attachment that we have to price because it's just not possible to make clothes this cheap and do it in a way that's equitable for everybody. Like it's, you're going to be destroying the environment and, you know, harming people in that process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So let's talk about the people that are behind the labels that a lot of us are purchasing from um you referenced living wages earlier so what does that mean and and why does that matter yeah so living wages are it's an interesting topic because a lot of um there's not like a unifying body that has like defined a scientific living wage in every country right so and and basically and but this is also the scapegoat like you know companies like brands like h&m will often say this they'll be like oh well we can't pay living wages because there's not a agreed upon metric, but that's just an excuse, yeah. right? Cause I, cause I work with brands that pay living wages. So yeah. So a living wage is essentially enough to cover all of your basic necessities, right? Like it's, it's like, do you make enough money to pay for like food, shelter, right? Like basic things that we actually mm-hmm. need. And, and, it, and usually good definitions of living wage will include having like a small amount of money for savings as well, because I think it's important to acknowledge that like, like people can't survive with just paying for their basic necessities alone, like just food, right? Because then you think about how vulnerable mm-hmm. those people are. Like their mother gets sick and then all of a the sudden, you know, they're like a member of their family is being sold into modern slavery or something or, or, they're, or you know, because or they're like imprisoned by an employer because they have this crazy contract because they, right, because they basically have to take on debt in order to pay for something that they should be able to afford, like like just a, like a medical right. visit. So. Yeah, so so I think that's also an important thing that should be included and is in, included in good definitions of living wages. But um, the reason that matters and is like the pay that garment workers receive is far less than living wage. Often it depends on the country. You know, like in like in Portugal, um, for example, like it's a crazy example. Like the the living wage and the minimum wage are like there's about there's pretty much parity there. That's really unusual. Usually, like in Bangladesh, it's like a third, mm. like the right, the minimum wage is like is like a, like a third of a living wage, or at least what some of these workers are being paid mm-hmm. is. Um, and then in other countries, it's like half. Um, and if you think about that, like if you're making half as much as you need to pay for like housing and food, how are you surviving? And so, yeah, so that's why it's important, because the, the there's a big gap between like what the wages are and uh, what they should be. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that's important for people to think about because, you know, whenever people would watch like a documentary, like you said, or, or even just hear these, you know, these things or like the story. Did you did you look into the story about the most recent factory fire that happened? I think it was in New Delhi. Yeah. yeah. I can say a little bit about it. Not, I didn't read like an entire article about it, but I know that there was a fire in a garment factory i think it was new delhi does that sound right to you no that's definitely right yeah okay okay people i mean people some of the garment workers were asleep when it happened the doors were locked so they couldn't get out i mean people were literally burned alive in this fire i want to say it was around 30 people but i will double check that and see if i'm right or wrong but i mean and it's like okay wait who's you know it it to you know people in the western world they might be thinking like wait how could you be locked where you work or why would you be sleeping where you work? And it's because, I mean, their conditions are so poor and, and some of them literally have to 
have to stay the night there, like you said, imprisoned at their jobs. And so, I mean, people died in this fire because of their unsafe working conditions. And, and so when you hear stories like that, most people think like, oh my gosh, that's so sad. How can I help? Like, I want to do something. Let me donate to the Red Cross to do something for these people or whatever. And that's awesome. Like, that's, that's great, obviously, to want to help. But what I've been thinking about lately is like, are there ways that we try to help, but then we undo those because then we support fast fashion brands? You know, like, for example, we support, we have a sponsor child through Compassion International. So we like air quotes adopted this child. We actually, our child now lives in Bolivia, but before we had a child that lived in Indonesia and there's a lot of garment factories in, in Jakarta, um, in Indonesia. And so one of the things in in his description of like, you know, what we're doing with our money when we support him monthly was we're protecting him from being captured into slavery, specifically into um, job slavery, working in one of these, uh, one of these factories. And he was only like nine. And it's like, oh my gosh, he's literally at risk of being kidnapped and forced to work in this factory, or maybe not even kidnapped, but maybe literally his parents have no other options but to send him to work. And so I think you have to think about things like that. Like maybe you want to make a difference. Like, yes, I'm supporting this child to make sure nothing like that happens to him. But then I'm buying from brands that I know don't have transparent manufacturing that do use slave labor in impoverished countries. And so I'm putting other kids at risk. And so that that doesn't really make sense. Am I making sense what I'm saying? Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, and you're absolutely right. I think, you know, it's not, um, maybe one doesn't like negate the other. But obviously, if we did both things, right, like, we could have even more of a positive impact. Because right. um, you're absolutely like the a lot of these big fast fashion brands definitely have uh, slave labor in their supply chains. And that's, that's one of the biggest issues when it comes to labor. Yeah, and I think I, you know, I'd sort of skimmed the, the article on the New Delhi fire. And, and it was to be honest, like, I, maybe it sounds a little depressing, but none of it was surprising to me, because it was all it was all things I feel like I see in every story, right? right. Like, like exactly like you said, where, like, where they're locked in the factory. And it's, this is like, these are the kind of like these, it's not new is what I guess what I'm trying to say, like these problems aren't new. Right. And it's, it's why it's part of the reason that certifications are so important, right? Because like, mm-hmm. they, they check for safety and things like this, like that the employees, you know, have access to like safe exits and that the exits aren't blocked. And because yeah, a lot of times the, the and sometimes it's often um, that they're working in those conditions on purpose, right? Like the manager wants to keep them, um, keep them working right and like not so it's yeah so that's why things like certifications really matter and, mm-hmm. and I think yeah I think it's another it's just another example of how we still have a, a ways to go in improving the condition of people who make the clothes for sure yeah absolutely and so you already talked about the the environmental impact a little bit too but I wanted to talk a little bit more about that you mentioned like the disposable fashion and how you know, we're getting rid of our clothes so much faster now. And so many of them are like so poorly made. And I've totally been in the same boat that you said, where you like, you're excited about something that you buy. And then after a month, you're like, oh my gosh, this is already falling apart. This was a terrible purchase. So what, what happens to those clothes when we're done with them? Yeah. So the, you know, the clothing waste problem has gotten, it's just astronomical. Yeah. So like Americans estimated, it's estimated around 80 pounds that we throw away around 80 pounds of clothes per year per person. Mm. Um, is the average and 
and it doesn't matter. And the, the, the worst part is like it doesn't exactly like. So a lot of people think, and I thought so too. I used to think goodwill was like the, the you know, the answer like the, to, the, to all the problems. Yeah, the golden answer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they they only sell twelve to fifteen percent of what they because not because they're bad or like it's because they that's as much as they can sell. Like yeah. they have so much, they get so um, much, yeah, that they're taking in, and and then the rest of it goes overseas, and then oftentimes it ends up being burned or in a landfill anyway. Mm-hmm. So it, it's. Yeah, and, and also, and there's, there's other problems there, too, that we could extrapolate, right? Like, in addition to the fact that they're sometimes ending up as trash anyway, there's also the fact that they're completely, and this is, I guess maybe this is a more gray one, but they're also completely squashing the potential for, like, fashion designers to have businesses in these countries, right? Like, if you're dumping essentially free, like, like very, very, very cheap clothes to entrepreneurs in Kenya who can then sell them, right, to people in Kenya, like, you're squashing the potential for, like, a designer to start a business there because they want to make clothes and sell them, but like they're competing with virtually free clothes. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so there's also that problem. And that's, that's, um, that's led to some, you know, countries in East Africa wanting to ban, um, and some have banned, uh, the taking in of these secondhand clothes. And yeah, so it's just not, basically the problem is like, we can't solve this problem by giving everything to goodwill and right. shipping it overseas. Right. Like yeah. we, we definitely have to slow down the cycle because it's just insane, uh, at this point in time where it's at. Yeah, absolutely. And so with that, what do you think about, you know, a lot of times I feel like my go-to answer is like, well, you could sell your clothes. And and that is a good strategy, selling your clothes, letting someone else reuse them or purchasing secondhand. What what do you think about that? Like, is that the quote golden answer? Yeah, no, definitely. There's definitely good things you can do for sure. That's a good point. Um, in the meantime, I think it's just like, I think overall we, we have to slow down fashion, but, but in the meantime, there's a lot of things. And I, we actually put together a couple of guides uh, in our blog uh, about about like resources for people yeah. to, to get rid of uh, clothes they don't want anymore. Okay. Because there's some pretty cool resources that a lot of people don't know about sure. that are out there. But but the ones you mentioned are great though. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Like you can sell your clothes. I, I personally, I mean, obviously, you know, I think more research can show what's actually happening. Uh, this is definitely a space where we could use more research, but uh, but I, I personally believe a lot in, in selling the clothes because it's, it just makes sense that like if you sell your clothes, right, like the person who buys them is, is intending to use them. And so keeping them in, in the life cycle that way makes yeah. a lot of sense, right? Like, yeah, it's not just that you're getting money for them. It's like you're, you're keeping them in use. Right. Then, yeah, as we mentioned, goodwill is, is I mean, the, and, and these sorts of things, they are solutions, but they're, they're problematic ones. I and mean, they shouldn't be the only solution that we have given just given the quantity, right? So there's also some services that take like there's like um, the community recycling and some of these services are like only in New York, like, um, or like New York based, like wearable collections. And, uh, it's like, there's another one that's really good actually, but they're, there's, they've started in New York city. Um, but anyway, there's these services that, um, that I have, I have referenced to some of them in the, you know, in the article that will take like clothes that are, they'll basically take used clothes and recycle them. And some of them will even take clothes that are beyond use. Right. Which is like, mm. like you can't bring, you know, like a t-shirt that's not wearable to Goodwill, for example, because yeah. um, they're just gonna some locations, <laughs> yeah, some locations send it to like rag recyclers who turn it into rags, but, but they can't right. guarantee that because they have so many locations. So some locations will just yeah. throw it out. Right. So other services like that, there's services that take shoes, um, souls for souls for souls for souls. And a lot of them are free is the other is sort of the other unknown. Like with souls for souls, you can go through their partner brands. Like you can, you don't have to buy from these brands. Like you can go through Timberland's website and log in. You don't have to buy anything. And you can like print a, a shipping label to souls for souls. And then you just put your shoes in a box and like slap the label on 
and ship them out that way. So there's really cool solutions out there like that too that help us get rid of our used clothes and shoes. Yeah, and I think, and, and so when you combine these efforts, we can definitely do a lot better than throwing them in the trash, um, which we would never yeah. do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, oh yeah, totally. And I think part of it too is being conscious in the first place with what you purchase. Like, you know, if it's something you're okay with throwing away, you know, after a few months, like you probably don't need it anyways, you know, and there's a really big push for, people learning how to repair their clothes, which I think is really cool. Like sewing and mending is kind of a lost art in ways. And so there's a big push for like, okay, if it was worth you purchasing in the first place, like it's worth repairing when it rips. Don't just toss it out because it got a small tear, but instead learn how to repair your clothes. That's a really good point. I think I'm really excited about that trend as well. Yeah. Some of the brands that I work with do that. Like, um, like nudie jeans, you know, where repair your jeans for life. Um, and they do it. If you, if you live close to one of their stores, they do it in store, which is like really cool. And they don't charge for that. Um, then, yeah, then there's brands like Taylor Stitch that will like take back the clothes, repair them and resell them. And, and obviously they're they're sort of copying Patagonia's model, right, for that, like mm. porn wear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think things like that are really encouraging. But also, like you said, you can also repair it yourself or you can just like get acquainted with your local tailor, yeah. you know, and, and have them make adjustments and repairs. So, yeah, I think that's also a really, that's an important point. That's There's a lot we could do with repairing yeah, to reduce our impact. Sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, and then I also saw, as we're talking about the environmental side of things, I saw on your website a blog post that was about this t-shirt that you had gotten, and the blog post I think was titled, uh, what was it titled? It was like something like the most sustainable... Oh, the most the most sustainable shirt is not the one you own? Yeah, yeah. So can you tell me more about that? Because I think that's something that you know, there's, like I said, another big push to reduce our consumption and to just say like, okay, you know, just wear, wear the clothes that you have. Don't, don't buy anything new, just keep what you have. And that's the most sustainable option. But that, that blog post caught my eye for that reason. So can you talk more about what you meant by that? Yeah, absolutely. And just to clarify one thing is like, I didn't necessarily mean that I meant that more to like provoke thought than to be yeah. a definitive statement. Yeah, sure. sure. Um, because I think some people were genuinely offended by the article. Oh. <laughs> um, and I didn't, I, I didn't, yeah, and I didn't intend that. Like, yeah. the point isn't like, you know, don't the point, like, obviously, keep the shirts you have. Right. And, and, you know, and like, yeah, and, and it just it's just a, it's just to provoke thought, because I think there's some really interesting data that we don't think about. So yeah, yeah. And one of those being that two thirds, yeah, two thirds of a government's environmental impact comes after you buy it. And that's sure that's most we're mostly talking about laundry there. Yeah, um, that's so interesting. Yeah. And, and, and this is interesting. There's a lot of and this is actually good. There's a lot of data on this because there's been multiple uh, studies. And it's really interesting if you dig into it a little bit, because it varies by country. And obviously, like, with laundry, mm-hmm. there's a lot you can do to reduce that impact, right? So two thirds is is based on like the way that people are washing their clothes. But, um, you know, simply by doing cold water, if you can line dry things and then using like more eco-friendly detergents, you can significantly reduce that impact. And and the data shows that like in countries that are already doing that more, like where that's sort of become like a norm, you know, you can see that the, the average mm-hmm. impact of laundry for the people in that country is like much lower. So yeah, so that's a pretty interesting one. But but basically, yeah, basically laundry is a, is a huge impact and, and there's... Simply, honestly, if, if all you do is like use cold water only yeah. when you wash your clothes, you're making a pretty significant impact there. And but yeah, but this so this shirt is um the, the, I guess the, yeah. So with this article, what I, what I was pointing out is like this performance shirt. You can wear it for you can basically wear it for about a week. I was able to wear it for six days, 
without washing it. Yeah. And usually I can only wear a t-shirt for like one day, right? Especially if I work out in it, which yeah. I climb, like it's, yeah, it's going to smell. And so then I have to wash it. But this one I could wear for six days. So it's like I can do 83% less laundry. And so that's like a significant uh, environmental impact reduction that way. So it's just an interesting an interesting way to think about impact. Yeah. And yeah, and, and something else that comes up in this discussion, obviously, which came up in the article too, is, is microplastics, right? And that's been a really interesting one. I think I think what's important to note um, for anybody, because I know everybody's trying to reduce their impact. And, and I think an important thing to note is like there is there is a lot of gray area when it comes to this. And that's OK. Like, I think we don't have to be perfect. Right. We just have to make decisions that, that make sense for us. Because, like, you know, obviously virgin nylon and virgin polyester and these sorts of materials like we shouldn't be using because they're petroleum based and we don't really need to be using them anymore. You know, and um, so like recycled alternatives for these are great because they with recycled nylon or recycled polyester, you can like significantly reduce the well, the water and the CO2 to produce these fabrics. And also you're reusing something that's waste. But obviously microplastics is this new, is this new thing. And But I think what's important is we're still understanding, fully understanding the impacts of microplastics, whereas like we understand the impacts of water and CO2 now, you know? So I think that's kind of important to note. However, obviously microplastics are a concern. So my recommendation there is is, for, is really to, to use one of these like microplastic collection bags, um, like the, the guppy one, because, you know, because it's, like we all have, we all have synthetics, right? I, I mean, very few people that I know don't own like a synthetic garment. Uh, that's pretty rare. So that that would be something like something that's made out of polyester or something like that, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Anything that's made out of polyester, acrylic, nylon. It's hard to fathom somebody not having something like this unless they're super intentional right. because it's everywhere. Like right. synthetic yeah. fabrics have taken over. Yeah. So yeah, so so really, I think it makes more sense to be able to have one of these these bags that you laundry bags that catch the microplastics because chances are you have synthetics. Um, and so that way, so then, you know, so then if there's a good buy for you when you need something and it's, and it's made from like recycled polyester, recycled nylon, you can still get it. Right. And then you can use this bag to help reduce your impact. Hmm. That's, that's my personal thought, but obviously some people are going to switch to like hundred percent natural fibers. I've, I know people make those commitments, but, yeah. but I think it's important to consider there too, though, like overhauling your wardrobe completely always has a significant environmental impact on its own. So that's just something else to keep, right? Like if we're going to get rid of all of our synthetics and replace them with natural fibers, like that's going to have an impact, right? Because we're going to, so. Sure. Yeah. So I think it's just sort of important to consider all these things when, when thinking about, yeah, what's, how to reduce your environmental impact the most. Okay. I'm glad you brought up those little bag things because I've seen them before and I'm really intrigued on how they work. So is the point to just, because obviously everybody's washing machines has like a drainage system. So, you know, your clothes get washed and then whatever comes out of them goes into the drain. And so is the point of the little bags to collect all the microplastics so that they're not going into our water systems? Exactly. Yeah, that is the point of them. And they're scientifically okay. proven to work. But I but I think one thing that is important to note is like is like I said, with with the bags as well as just the microplastics issue in general, we're still learning. So I think it's I think it's important to sort of keep an open mind, right? Because like the there may be a better solution than these bags, right? Or and I think we're, so we're still going to be learning more, but as of right now, um, it, it is a good solution that will reduce your impact. Yeah. Okay. That's super interesting. Gosh, there's just so many like facets to fashion and like, I mean, even just the environmental things, like there's just so many things to think about with, with all of it. Yeah, there, there is. And I think that's one of the, that's one of the things that sort of concerns me is, um, the space, obviously like I love the space and, and I'm very passionate about it, but I think it can be overwhelming, I think, you know, just the number of issues, the number yeah. of solutions, just the number of like, the number of things, right? Um, and I think it's important to not, 
to not worry too, like, I mean, like, obviously to, to be conscious, but like also, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, if you're doing things to reduce your impact, like, like, that's good. Like you're doing a good job and just like, obviously it's a work in progress. Like we're never going to be perfect. And I think, so I think it's okay. Like, I think it's important not to get overwhelmed by the issues and sort of just keep an open mind right. and know that like, it's all evolving and we don't have to be perfect. As long as we're doing something right in this space to reduce our impact, then you're doing a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, education is totally always the first step. And we, you know, haven't even covered half the things we could we could cover since we've been talking. But I think, you know, just kind of taking it step by step, like maybe first, just thinking about, okay, I want to focus on only buying from brands that have transparent manufacturing that are paying living wages or, you know, where I know their workers are being treated ethically. Like maybe that's where you start. And then after you've kind of, you know, mastered that and figured out the best way to shop there, maybe then you're like, okay, now I'm going to try incorporating secondhand shopping and, and selling my clothes so that their life cycle is lasting longer. And after you get a hang of that, then maybe it's like, okay, I'm going to think about trying to buy less synthetic fabrics and more natural fabrics or you know just taking it step by step and not overwhelming yourself with everything at once because it can get overwhelming very easily yeah i I completely agree and and the last thing we want to do too is make people like okay here are all the things you need to think about to the point where it's like you're almost paralyzed in fear like oh my gosh there's too much to do so I'm not going to do anything, you know, so just figure out what you could do, like one little thing you could try this year, maybe, and, and see how that goes. So, so, so many good ideas from Garrick of things we can do to make a difference. Again, don't get overwhelmed with them, but pick one that you could do and stick with it. Try it for a year and then think about the other things you could do. Change up your laundry routine, switch to natural fibers. Don't just donate your clothes, but find other ways to dispose of them in an ethical way. And use eco stylists and other sources like that to find sustainable brands when you do want to buy something new. Like I said, we have more content coming next week from Garrick, so I can't wait to continue this conversation with him. But for now, what is one change that you can make to lessen your fashion footprint? Again, don't forget to leave a rating and a review so other people can find the show. Subscribe to the show too so that you know when the next episode is available. Spread the word about the show and about this topic of fast fashion and why it needs our attention. And let's connect online too. I love hearing from listeners. Would love to get to know you more and hear what you thought of the show. And if you follow me on Instagram or Facebook at The Heartfelt Hippie, you'll get even more tips for living sustainably and ethically. So make sure you connect with me over there. And lastly, I just want to encourage you to think about slowing down your consumption in general. Think more before you make those purchases and then be mindful once you get your clothes home of how you can lessen your impact and keep seeking to get enlightened. Peace out! Hoping to see you.